0: Welcome to uh, an episode of Wittner's podcast. Alex Zetrovich here again. Uh, some developments this week happening. Uh, 750 is moving to Provi, which is causing some turmoil in the wine industry. Uh, so as a reminder, Wittner's Go will be uh, an alternative for those who want to play with us. Uh, but back to the episode. To uh, focus on my guest here, I'm excited to welcome Jay Strell. Jay, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And Jay's kind of a veteran of the wine industry, especially when it comes to natural wine. Uh, Instead of me introducing you, Jay, I would would actually offer you to tell us your origin
1: story, if you will. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, my name is Jay Strell, and I have a boutique communications, public relations strategy firm called Strell & Company. Uh, and I focus largely on the food and wine and hospitality space, uh, in particular in wine, by and large, uh, in the natural wine community. And, uh, you know, I've always just had a lifelong passion for food and wine, uh, largely coming from both my parents who were just love to cook, eat, drink. You know, my dad was the guy who was making, you know, beer and wine in his basement back in the 70s. Um, and so... I kind of picked that up from them. And, and, and initially I've always done communications, but initially I worked in politics and in public affairs, working at the uh, State Department, and then later the United Nations for the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Um, and then Later on, I worked at a boutique public relations agency in New York City and I helped build out their food and wine program just because it was something that was like a personal passion interest of mine. And so when I left, I sort of really focused in that area and I've been really fortunate in, in, in my opportunities of clients and people that I've been able to approach and vice versa to, to you know, marry sort of a personal everyday passion of mine with what I do for a living. And uh it's been really gratifying because I, you know, I think in the natural wine community, just the the people and the players and the and the characters that you get to meet um and 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 get to know is really exciting. So, you know, I feel really lucky to be able to, you know, make make a living, pay my bills and 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 get to do this uh as my day job.
0: I agree. I think, I think we're, we're all fortunate to, to be in this industry. Um, forgive me, but I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of a timeline because in the last episode, I interviewed your friend, Justin Cherno, who, uh, told me during the episode that you guys were friends living in the sea together. And, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Also, when I, when I talked to you in Vienna, you told me that, that, uh, you guys were friends and kind of got into the industry together. Um, so yeah. Can you, oh,
1: can you tell me? Yeah, a little sure. Story? So Justin, Justin Cherno, who uh, if people are just tuning in as the, is a partner in the wine director and James Beard, a winning wine director of the Four Horsemen. Uh, Justin and I, when I worked in politics, he was, he was uh, in a band. We lived in DC in the, you know, early mid nineties. And then he was the first of our group of friends to move to New York. Um, and then I eventually moved up here. And I would say in the we would always spend time together eating and drinking on the meager amount of money that both of us had at the time um, and cooking together, cooking Thanksgiving dinners together. Um, Our our group of friends just love, like one of the things we love to do is just like eat, drink, cook together. And so um, after uh, the end of the Clinton administration, as I was trying to figure out kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And I've toyed with the idea of maybe opening a wine shop. This is in Williamsburg, still very early days of Williamsburg. And I, I I didn't do that, but I ended up working at a wine shop that kind of became a touchstone, I would say, for natural wine in New York um, called Uva Wines. And so I, I was one of the early employees, part-time employees there. Um, and I worked there and then I managed to be able to help friends of mine that were interested in getting into the business to uh, get jobs there. So Justin was one of them. He had been working. Can't remember exactly what he was doing, but it was just sort of, he needed work. And I was like, why don't you just come to, why don't you come work at the wine shop with me and we'll sling wine, we'll sell wine and we'll trade wine for cheese with the Bedford Cheese shop and we'll listen to great music. And he's like, yeah, it sounds awesome because he's a very sociable, knowledgeable, friendly guy. And he's just got the right character to like, Connect and sell wine to people, and it's really Uva Wines was a place where he, lesser extent me, but he met a lot of people. You know, we, we that's the first time we met Garrett Oliver, who's the brewmaster. At least I, uh, he may correct me, but I, I remember that's where I first met Garrett Oliver, who was the the brewmaster at 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 Brooklyn Brewery, who was starting to get into wine. And this time Uva wasn't wholly natural; it had some, you know, natural wines. um You know, it's this first. Is time early two thousands, I- right? Early 2000s. Yeah. And then there was a guy named Andy Chernoff who lived in the neighborhood, who was in a seminal punk rock band, uh, kind of pre, he was a childhood writing partner with uh, Joey Ramone. Uh, he had a band called The Dictators. He was into wine, not natural wine, but we met just a lot of people and where we could pull our friends in who were interested in this. Sometimes they were in bands stuff just to make some extra cash we could. And then I ended up like leaving and kind of going and doing some other stuff and actually working at a wine shop with Andy called uh, Ledoux wines with uh, the, the late Jean-Luc Ledoux, who uh, was sort of the rock and roll sommelier. he worked at Danielle and opened a wine shop in the West village just because I was interested in exploring this higher end of wine that I couldn't really afford personally to drink, but I could be around that and occasionally get a sip and learn about that. Justin um, continued to work at Uva. And eventually became the, the head wine buyer, and then really got switched on to natural wine and really turned that into sort of one of the first real leading natural wine shops in, uh, in New York. And, uh, and, and so later on, we sort of reconnected through my work because we would travel together. I mean, I was, I think I told you when he got his job with, uh, with Zeb Rovine, who convinced him to leave UVA and, and partner up with him. Uh, I I was fortunate enough. They invited me along their first prospecting wine prospecting trip. So we all spent a few days in in Paris before they kind of and they figured a list and they and then they went off into the the countryside to find, you know, the first group of uh, natural wine uh makers that they would buy uh that they would start importing to the states so was it
0: justin that influenced you to get into natural wine or was it your own yeah
1: i would say i would say it was justin and and then also it was um you know my palate sort of began to come go that direction you know my in my wine journey at first it was very conventional and then my ex-wife was australian so i drank a lot of australian wines and then, and then I started getting into natural wine and, and it was through Justin. And also I would say it was in part through, um, that o- OG crew at 10 bells, which is where we would spend a lot of time. So that would be, you know, Jorge Riera, who, who is a friend and, you know, is the wine director at, at Frenchette and, uh, and LaRoc. I worked with him, uh, when he was at Wild there. uh, it was, you know, it was, uh, Philippe Fifi, uh, who was a partner at 10 bells who then went on and started passage J la flora and great natural wine shop in in prospect heights uh, and then and then you know he became a wine importer fifi imports now he's making wine and you know he's he's more of an agent and then uh you know and then jose whose last name is escaping me right now but jose was there and he's he's uh he's a portfolio guy at uh at dresdner and then there were a couple of other people arturo and emily and so I, it's a place that this still has a, I have a very strong memory of it from that point. Cause I'd spent a lot of time there and, right. and, and it's where I kind of like started drinking. And I would say my, my palate got a little more formatted, I would say, and in, in terms of natural wines um, and then, you know, and then going on some of these trips, you know, I really got switched on to uh, you know, go, I, I went on one of these trips with, you know, Justin and I would go occasionally or we go with friends and we got to, we started tagging along and going to the places that he was starting to go to and, and form friendships. We became some of my own friendships, whether it was like, you know, with the, the, the owners of Vervalais or Chateaubriand and Dauphin um, and, uh, and Maurice Lass. So, and then I was able through my work meeting these people. And this is one of the things I love is like, you know, hanging out in the culture, getting to know people. And then, you know, at some point, maybe they ask you like, Hey, I got this project. Do you want to work with me on this? I I mean, the first time I went to Ladiv was with Justin because he had like, you know, you know, it was Jorge who said, you got to get as close to the source as possible. You need to go to Ladiv. And then, you know, and that was the, and then I went at probably seven, I think my first trip was seven years ago. I was really, I'd always heard about it, started seeing it a little bit on social media. right? But that's, you know, I, I went and I was just blown away. And it's sort of, it just resets your mind. You realize that the importer's, you know, the importers don't own the wine, you know, the winemakers own the wine. They're imported by many different people all over the world. But, you know, in a a place like France, there really are no importers. There've been a few now, but you really you really get to understand the ecosystem of how things work, both in that world, um, you know, uh, because it's still very somewhat different than the way it works in sort of the more conventional wine world, you know.
0: And of course, like the, the the producers that you're talking about at Ladiva, are, are, I mean, these are farmers first and foremost. Uh, a lot of them, very small family-owned businesses. They don't have uh, sales managers, expert managers, and all this. So, so really, these these kind of uh, events are their their way of of uh, showcasing their product.
1: Hundred percent. You know, I kind of liken. You know, I I, I I, first of all, the other thing I think is really exciting about these things that if you're interested in it and, you know, I tell, you know, people that are getting into it or interested. One is, <clears throat> you know, things like Ledeve, They're, you know, everybody's welcome. You could just be like a, you know, a prosumer, an enthusiast, and you could go on a ver- version of wine tourism going to Ledeve doesn't cost that much money. And I think it's like really important if you know if you want to build your knowledge whether you're somebody who's starting out and you're gonna want to be a wine director at a restaurant and start you know start build a list to if you're just somebody that like really loves wine and you want to deep more deepen your knowledge um because you realize like there's these i mean i think in the early days of ladiv you know, you could go and you would find people that were not being imported to the States. Now, by and large, most people are imported. And then you have these ancillary events, as you know, where you have, where the big event has become too big, you know, it's kind of like Sundance. So then you have slam dance and you have whatever it is. And they become these ancillary sort of things around Ledeve, you know, and you have, you know, Renaissance and Pentaton and enemy and, you know, and, and I think that's really exciting because you can do, you know, I think discovery is such a great thing and it's hard. Discovery is harder these days in some ways because of the immediacy, immediacy of the internet and the immediacy of social media. You know, there used to be a time where you really had to travel. It was essential to travel because otherwise if to really understand what was going on, you were relying on either one of the wine trades or maybe a sommelier who traveled more, who would get, go on a trip either on their own or through an importer. Or, you know, you would, you know, you get the Kermit Lynch newsletter. There just wasn't, you know, you really had to know where to get the information. Right. Um, now, you know, the internet and especially, uh, you know, Instagram is, is such a, you know, it's a window into these things. You know, you can see somebody's tagged a bottle. Oh, what's that bottle? Who brings that in? And you can start Reverse engineering, like who, where you might be able to find that, that just simply didn't exist. Even I would say five or six years ago. But I think the the downside to that in the industry is is it's creating it with at least within Naturaline, I think, a, a bit of a sameness. Like I mean, I'm sure you, you know, we used to I was actually just going to
0: ask you. Um, okay,
1: go, go go ahead. I I was just going to ask you. I mean, what, what do you
0: think? Because I I feel like. There uh there are some of my peers uh, that I know that you know kind of always go for the same wine. There's not there's not a lot of discovery on your own, like, oh, what is this? Like curiosity. You kind of just tend to go for things that you've <coughs> seen on Instagram if you if you recognize the label and, and then you want to post it on Instagram because you want to be accepted by your peers again. So it's kind yeah, of like you want a to bit be validated.
1: Disabled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I you know, just to pull back a little bit you know, I, I, I I consider myself, aside from being very talkative, um, my, uh, my, you know, but my dad and my, you know, especially my dad, my mother, too, have always been inherently curious individuals. You know, my dad was a football player and a football coach, but he was the, you know, jazz loving, making, you know, making beer, wine at home, we go to, you know, we go to you know, we go, you know, we go to restaurants and we turn around and he'd be sitting with the staff at the staff table being like, what are you guys eating? Oh, I want to try that. He always loved the more, the more far out, you know, like we even still, when we go out to eat, he's like, you know, he's like, all right, do they got tripe tacos? Do they have cabeza? You know, this, that he lives in Tucson now. It's just, so I, a lot of that's rubbed off on me and like all aspects of my life. I try to, while I have opinions I also try to stay very open-minded and want to try stuff. I think wine, it's important to do the same because I, you know, I, and, and Justin and I talk about this all the time when we travel, like most recently, he and I, and the, um, the writer of the four horsemen cookbook went to, uh, France back in March, went to Ladiv. wanted to show him kind of the ecosystem, but we went to a restaurant. We were just looking for a restaurant that was close to the train station on the other side of the river to go to, to eat. And, and that would sort of meet our needs, which would be type of food we like to eat, natural wine, but really didn't know anything about it other than like the research we did talking to some friends. We get there, turns out they know some people we know from like the, you know, the Jorge's and the Jose's and we drink, you know, four or five bottles, three of which we had never heard of before. Right. And it just validated to us, like you still have to go out there and explore because even the internet is only showing you or Instagram is only showing you a very small portion of really what's out there. You know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of dark matter that still exists. You just got to go and find it because some of this, you know, some of these people, you know, there is, you know, there are wines that don't even make it to the States or, you know, there's a wine that's a new project from somebody that's, you know, the son of, you know, X, Y, or Z. Like I even saw on Instagram recently, uh, someone posted, uh, I guess they're one of the sons of one of the, the 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 main Beaujolais producers is now making wine. Had never seen it before. And so I, you know, I text or DM friends, hey, have you, screenshot, do you know this wine? What is this? And the wine's not even tagged, just a photo of it. It's like, oh, I think that's this by that. You know, it's not even imported yet. So you really have to go deeper because they even tell people, you know who are building lists you know there's a lot of when it comes to the importers and the distributors there's a lot of like ask me the right question i'll give you the right answer you know right. you know not everyone's coming and being like hey do you want do you want wines from this wine producer that i only get x many cases and you know every week there's a new natural wine bar natural wine shopping you know opening across the country and you know, they, they don't have enough to fill the need. And that's why I also think it's very incumbent on the distributors to come up with new ways to, you know, to meet the appetite and interest and curiosity for natural wine, you know, because there's only going to, you know, it's, it varies from year to year, as you know, because you can have a bad year and then, you know, the production's cut and then allocations are cut, but also like, you got to come up with you know i think you got to come up with you know gateway natural wines you know and i think that's you know i i i'm impressed with say like you know what uh um sorry um selection masala has done with the boutanche project which is based you know or what alvaro has done with his litrona project you know i think these are important things because here you have wines that are maybe not quite to the level uh the wine making not quite it's being made naturally but these are people who maybe would normally would have sold to a co-op you know who are not now who are gone natural or organic but maybe they don't want to make wines maybe they just want to grow the grapes and it's a way to sort of take that and 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 create uh you know uh you know a, a brand a label and sell it at a price that um that the, you know, the person that's just getting curious or in the industry, or maybe it's a restaurant that's like, we're not going to have a whole natural wine list, but we know there are people that want to drink it. But also we want to have something that's like cheap and cheerful that people can have. I think that there's value in that. I think that's the other thing is, is that, you know, one of the things that's frustrating at times is the sort of zero sum nature of things, you know, where it's got to be this way. If not, then it's it's this other it's lumped into this whole other category. And I just don't I find that conversation as much as I also find the the sort of the bickering, the brick brats between conventional and natural to be really boring at this point. You know, I think that there's room for it all, you know, and it's going to, you know, and there's greater existential threats, as we know, to winemaking these days, like climate change, you know, that affects all, you know, wine.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I I actually wanted to ask you what your kind of like opinion is, because a lot of times, you know, when we when we talk about um, natural wine, sometimes I feel like people are are a bit closed off at this point. Um, You know, if you're coming from a conventional side, uh, but you know, I've noticed and you know, I don't know if you've noticed, I'd be curious to hear but um, especially because I'm focusing on Austrian wine and, and German wine that a lot of people are converting. A lot of people are trying out some bigger wineries are trying out. I mean, I, I'd be curious to hear what, what is your opinion of, you know, a, a bigger producer <coughs> dedicating, let's say, 10 percent of their production to try now the natural side?
1: I, I think why not? You know, I think, uh, you know, I also think transparency is, is really, you know, to me as a, as a, as a communications strategist, public relations strategist, whatever, like I think transparency is always important. Don't try to oversell your story. Don't try to, uh, I think it's okay to want to try to play both sides of the streets to a degree, um, but, you know, don't try to say that, well, because I do this little thing, you know, I'm all this, even though I'm really, you know, this whole uh, you know, I'm more conventional. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, it it it, you know, I, I remember there was a time reading, I can't remember this. Was this was back when Chipotle was was a, uh, and I sort of charted the Chipotle rise from growing up in Denver, you know, from when it was a single shop in Denver, Colorado to becoming this big thing and coming to New York. And and there was a thing where they were, they were doing something organic. They were like, they put some, there was a sign where they were basically saying, we're going organic. And it was basically, but then you read the fine print and it's like, you know, a portion of this small thing. I don't know, is there tortillas or whatever? Are being made with organic flour, so it's not even one hundred percent organic. And I found that very disingenuous because that's what I expect from the McDonald's and the Burger Kings, not what I expect from like somebody who's supposedly trying to change the fast casual or whatever equation. And I just think the same thing applies here. It's like be open and honest about what you're trying to do, you know. And and I think that people can you know can can accept that. Um, you know, right. I think that what's happened is conventional is realized. And I think it's both in the sommelier world and, and even with like you're saying, some of these bigger wineries, they've realized that the fad of natural wine is, is not going away. It's only continuing to expand. And also you combine that with this generational change that's happening amongst the vignerons where, yeah. you know, I think that's, what's really interesting is where you're seeing like, you know, Italy to me is a great example where, you know, there used to be like one or two natural winemakers. I mean, I'm, 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 there were more than that, but all of a sudden there's like these little explosions where you have like five, six, 10, 12. It's like what you see in a place like the Czech, you know, or the Czech Republic. You know, there was like one or two and now there's like a couple dozen. I mean, you saw it, I think at Queretere where the first time I went to Queretere five years ago, there was still a lot of winemakers from outside the region that were there pouring their wines and this time 95% of the winemakers were strictly from the region and there were no Georgian there were even Georgian winemakers or Greek winemakers not that it isn't you know not that they aren't welcome but I think it's just a testament to the growth of the of the people pouring there and I think that's really important because as a regional fair you really want these people that are starting out to be able to have the opportunity to stand out you know, the guy that's making the lone wolf that's decided he's going to make wine. He found this plot of land. He's going to make wine in Poland or Romania. You know, they have an opportunity more to stand out um, if, if it's more like narrowly focused as opposed to at some of the bigger fairs where you're, you're really an outlier because you have all the traditional wine growing regions. And then you're like, wait, they're making wine there. How is that possible? Whereas yeah. it's something that's more narrowly focused there's an opportunity to stand out and hopefully people have the open minds, try the wines and, you know, maybe you blow the right person's mind and they decide to bring your wine in or whatever. So, and then you're on your way. All it takes is one, you know? Yeah. I mean,
0: going back to our discussion earlier, like I remember first time I went to raw, uh, there was a section, you know, where everybody was, um, Basically, grouping around Cornelissen table, about twenty people. Zev trying to pour yeah, wine for everybody, that. and then you had these all these great producers. I remember Matea Gravner being all alone; like nobody was coming to her table. I I was just so surprised. And Gravner's like already, you know. Uh, I mean, it's a name, in my opinion. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. So so then, how would you expect that some other person who's just starting out from Steiermark in Austria to, to like come up. So I think character in that way is, is very unique. Um, Speaking of, um, and I think I want to get a little more into what exactly you do and and how you, you do it. Um, You, I know you're working with Marco Kovac, who I also interviewed uh, on bringing character to New York. So let's talk a little bit
1: about that and some of your other So I, I met, I met Marco, gosh, probably six, five, six years ago. Um, we were actually introduced by Crusho um, at, uh, at Renaissance at Ledef, Um, because I, I, one of my clients at the time was uh, the Netflix series chef's table, which just had a new edition come out called pizza, which I highly recommend watching. Um, and he was like, two of you should talk. Um, you know, Marco works with some chefs that are being featured, which included like Agana Nan and and uh, I think Vladimir Mukin at the time. And so we kind of, you know, we hit it off and he said, Hey, I got this little wine fair in Vienna. Would you like to come? Um, I'll fly you out because I'd, I'd very much like to start inviting some people from America, but I'd like to have somebody come first, kind of does what I do a little bit. Um, but Marco does many things, you know, he's making wine, he's doing, he's importing, he's you know so I was like, sure. I mean, you want to fly me to you know Austria, I'd love to go. And I went, I was really struck by the 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 group of people that he created because it didn't feel like a buyer's trip. Um, it felt like the you know, I look, I don't work exclusively in natural wine. I do communications. I happen to work with clients in food and some in in natural wine. You might have somebody that is, you know, a coffee maker. Who has an interest in natural wine, but treats nat- treats their coffee like kind of like nat- you know, like natural wine. So the 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 sort of Venn diagram is the interest in natural wine. Not everyone has the same job, which then creates interesting discussions. So I came back and was raving about it. And I told Justin and Jorge about it. And they came the next year and they really, and so about a year ago, Marco said, I think maybe the time is right to maybe bring this to New York. And I, and I said to him, Hey, I, you know, and he said, would you partner with me? And I said, cause I need somebody there. And I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know, cause I've worked on some natural wine fairs, you know, help, help more from the marketing communication side, uh, in particular peripheral, which Zach Palaccio had a real famous restaurant fishing game. Uh, it's still peripheral, still going on in Hudson. Uh, and then, uh, wild world that, uh, Byron Bates, started, which is a kind of food and fermentation. First one was in Austin. And then we've done some other ones. He's done some other ones in Brooklyn. So I, and I've and I've attended a lot of natural wine fairs and things like that, as well as I've attended a lot of like, you know, big food festivals and stuff, just so I have a sense of, you know, festivals and, you know, both food and and wine. So um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, we, I said, I, you know, we have kind of a crazy idea, You know, I think, you know, I I was like, why don't we try to do it up at Rockefeller Center? There's a lot of interest and change going on up there. You have a couple of restaurants that are coming in that have either wholly or partially uh, natural wine on their list. So there's a connection there, you know. And so we were able to convince the people at Rockefeller Center who run it to, you know, be the venue for it. So we're going to do it November 5th. It's really exciting. You know, there's a part of an intentionality about it, which is to kind of take the natural wine fair out of the proverbial Brooklyn, you know, Bushwick warehouse. And let's put it in the, the heart of New York, because I think it also talks about, it, it sort of demonstrates the, the journey and trajectory of natural wine that, Absolutely. you know, that it feels and, 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 and also that it, it's more than just about wine, it is cultural programming and cultural exchange. And why not have that at the crossroads of, you know, an iconic address in New York? So, um, so, you know, I, you know, I'd say that my job at the heart, I'm like, you know, I'm a publicist, I guess that's what some people call me, you know, I don't view myself as a publicist necessarily. I do the, you know, some of the things I do day to day are the same as any publicist. I'm pitching people like you, I'm, you know, emailing or I'm writing a press release or whatever you know, I'm fielding calls, but I, I really feel, and, and part of this goes back to my days in politics and, 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 and working in diplomacy, I really see myself more as a, a communication strategist um, and, and, but also one who has real deep personal interest in, in, in what I'm working on. Cause like, you know, I'm, even when I work with chefs, I'll see them post a photo and be like, what's the recipe for that? Or can you tell me, I, I want to make that or tell me more about it. Cause I'm always like trying, I want to help. It helps in my storytelling to get like deeper and have a deeper understanding. And I think it's part of the reason I'm able to connect at times with my clients. Cause they see that I see it for what it is, not as just like another thing to sell or promote, you know, right? sometimes in this, it's like, you know, and you see it in natural, oh, natural wine's cool now. So we got to create a natural wine brand. And we, there's an opportunity to make money though. You get in and you realize like a lot of these things, it's, it's very hard to make money out of, um, if you're the, you know, the Vinteron or whatever, you know, or so, but, um, I, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's, I, I try to, I want to help for my firm. It's all about helping interesting people, who are doing interesting things, who have a little bit harder of a story to tell or may not know how to tell their story or how to navigate things, um, help them do that. And, and you know, and and also tell it in a way that they feel is authentic and gets them to be understood and, and also comfortable. You know, I mean, social media is a perfect example. I'm not a social media strategist, but getting people to understand there's a way that you can use the, the medium to help tell your story while still being true to yourself you know yeah you know.
0: I, I actually wanted to to discuss that a bit because uh i i think uh some people think that artisanal and marketing are not really two things that go together uh which i would kind of disagree i think if you're making a product uh and at this day and age i think you should sell it uh yeah. especially if you live off of it and if you know how to sell it well, I think it's a uh, it's it's a big, big plus. Um, I had recently um, the couple from GutoGao, I interviewed them in the, in the podcast episode, and I think they had a they, they've done a tremendous <coughs> job of, of marketing their wines. Uh, everybody knows GutoGao and their, their faces on the label. So I wanted to hear from you, considering you are the storyteller and, and you are helping these people. What, what do you think and how what's what's the approach that you take?
1: Well, I think one, there's no, there's no, um, there's no one singular approach to take, you know, I think that, that, you know, obviously, as you just stated, like, you know, some people are more gifted at it than others. I mean, for me with like Eddie and Steffi, it really, you know, it, I'm, I feel very grateful to consider them friends and have watched their kids grow up. And we share stories about what their kids doing, what my kids doing and getting to spend time at their house and seeing them host, I mean, they're just so natural at it. And I finally, this past trip, got a chance to go to uh, Tobin Kobel, which is, you know, Steffi's family's restaurant. And you kind of see where, you know, she grew up around hospitality, you know, you grew up around the storytelling around, you know, creating an experience for people. And, and I think that, you know, her and Eddie, you know, have have just, you know, they they that's helped inform the process that they've, you know, that, the, the the you know, the, the, the storytelling and the marketing uh, that they've done with Guttegau, you know, I think that, that, um, you know, I liken it, I always tell people, like, when I, when I first had the Guttegau, you know, it's like, imagine a wine, imagine if the Royal Tenenbaums made a wine, it would be Guttegau. That's what, you know, with like, you know, you have them, you know, you have the, the, the myth, you know, you sort of have the mythical family tree and the, yeah. the wine reflect the character of the person. It's kind of like that. I think it's very look and it works for them, you know, and I think that's great. And I think they're really wonderful people. And I also think that, you know, I think that that um, people people need to do what, you know, winemakers need to do what feels what feels uh, what feels right to them. And right. they may not necessarily know what that is, or they may realize, Oh, I can, I like that. Let's do that. You know, but they've also been, you know, sort of, you know, some of them like with labels, you know, for years, they've told all oh, the label has to look this way. Nobody, there's no rule per se, mostly for a, r- a label have to look a particular way, right? You make a, l- a label, you can use that, you know, you can use that real estate as a billboard to be the entry point. Tell your story. I, I, you know, Ooh. look, I, Going back to when I first started buying, you know, like wine, you know, you you know, you would like interesting label would grab my, you know, sometimes the most mundane label would be an incredible wine, but you kind of had to know that, you know, now it's a way to stand out, you know, Absolutely. and that's not a bad thing. If the goal is, you know, if the goal is to get people to drink your wine and to appreciate it, you know, I have no problem with that. I mean, I think there's become a little bit of a paint by numbers, like sort of thing, but, you know, I mean, that's look, I mean. I I don't think it's necessarily a problem. I think you do have to market yourself. I think people do want to meet you. And I think that's why getting on the road is so important because people, not everybody can travel. Not everybody, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they don't like travel. Maybe they can't afford to travel. Maybe they're fear of flying. Um, You know, it's why just to go back a little bit to these natural wine fairs that I've worked on and I've talked to Marco about this a little bit. You know, to me, there are three things if you're going to start a natural wine fair somewhere that, if you want to have, do it a second time, are really important. And and you really, to me, this is the point of that. This is sort of the thing to think about when you're putting it together. One is making it memorable for the talent, the vignerons, you know, the, the 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 artisans who are you know who whose whose product, whose wine, whatever it is, your point. So when they get home wherever they live in their countryside and they're sitting at home after they've been on the road, they've been on tour they sit back and they think about where they've just traveled. Cause it's exciting, but also grueling for them. You want to stand out. And my hope is with Caratère, some people get back and said, you know what? That was really amazing. I got to pour my wines in the heart of New York city for people from New York and all over. That was pretty cool. I hope I get to do that again. I hope they do it again next year. Then it's the people that come who pay a ticket to go to this and they feel like they have a really memorable experience. And then it's of a size and scale where they get to meet, you know, the person behind something they drink, they get to touch their heroes, whatever you want to call it. And be like, you know what, that was really cool. That was worth my, you know, 40, 50 bucks to go and get to spend a little moment, ask a question, you know, it's like, it's like going to a book signing and getting to ask your favorite author a question about something or musician or whatever. And then lastly, you know, the the people, because as you know, in natural wine, there isn't these massive marketing budgets. There isn't these, you know, it, it's hard to find sponsors who's, who's it's, it's, you know, it's not impossible, but to find sponsors whose values align with your values. Um, and, you know, them to feel like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're in on the ground floor of something interesting, you know? So those are kind of the three things that I always try to think about, but I don't think there's any problem with marketing. I mean, look, I think some people, it's just like anything. It's like, you know, some people go overboard. Some people, you know, they feel they, they, they don't like how it makes them feel. And so my, uh, my thing is, is that, what would make you feel comfortable aside from not doing it? Right. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't complain about these people who are adaptive at, at it and then wonder why your wines aren't appreciated or sold the same way. You got to be willing to kind of jump in the pool a little bit. You know,
0: I had, a, I had an interesting conversa- conversation with somebody and it was actually about Gutugawa and they said, you know, when I first saw the wines and I saw them, they're so beautiful and the labels are like so nice and, and eye-catching and i thought that they're just you know kind of a uh, uh phonies and then i went to see their their winery and i actually realized they're actually really farmers and they 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 farm in a in a you know responsible way and they're very very nice people very welcoming and and you know i think that's exactly it like you can't really judge a book by its cover i mean this is oh. like so so simple to say but it literally is and label for, for, you know, for any reason is either going to catch your attention or it's not. And I think if you're a small producer with limited amount of wa- bottles that you produce and you want to stand out in a market like New York, for example, which is just saturated with great wines, you better have something that is going to make you stand out before the person tries your wine. At the end of the day, the most important thing is that the wine is good, of
1: course. A hundred percent. And I, I agree with that. And, you know, I think it's it's a really an exciting time in wine in some ways because, you know, and I and I and again, having the fortune of having worked in a wine shop and having tried to like, hey, you got to try this wine, you know, from, you know, from Massachusetts or from Virginia or from like, you know, not traditional wine growing in America you know, you know, up until recently, if the wines weren't from, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, you know, they were marginal, you know, it was like, it's really nice. You're trying to do that. There's no way it can be any good. I think we're now, and I feel like natural wine has really, you know, helped with this. And it's obviously uh, external factors to climate change, whatever. But I think that people are far more heads are far more open to trying your wines from non-traditional places more than ever. I mean, it's exciting to see what's going on in the, you know, the, in, in in you know in the Czech Republic and Slovakia and 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 you know in the fact that you have a consumer, at least in America, that's very open to this, to trying this wine. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, if you you know, if you'd you know, if if a guy had pulled a bottle off the shelf for you and said, Hey, you should drink this wine. It's called gin and tonic and it's going to cost you thirty five dollars. And it's from, you know, it's from the Czech Republic. They'd be like, you're crazy. I would I I, first of all, it kind of looks intriguing. But if they you know, they they they, you know, they brew beer there. They don't make wine. They're known for that. And like but if this was nine ninety nine, maybe I'd take a flyer on it. Now the kids and because of the internet and other things, I think, and they're more open to trying things and trying. The, and I think it's really, I think it's really exciting in, in a lot of ways. You know, I think, I think it's like the same way in spirits. You know, I think that, that the artisanal spirits uh, um, boom is really cool because for a long time, you know, marketing told you, big marketing told you that the best vodka only came from, you know, from Russia or, You know, bourbon only came from Kentucky and like all of a sudden you're realizing like a lot of times these are just terms. And while there's great products that are made there, you could find similar type of products, you know, potatoes from Maine or whatever. Or, you know, I'm working with a small gin producer up in up in uh, the Catskills now. And you know, he's making great gin with local botanicals and local water and using uh, upcycling whey from organic dairy farmers nearby. And it's yeah. great. And it's really cool. And and also what I like about these things is they create jobs, you know, and and Absolutely. you know, in a place like, you know, I'm not a you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of our former governor, Andrew Cuomo. But one thing that he did that I think was really important was is that he lifted a lot of the barrier to entry regulations, paperwork, whatever it was, for small, like, artisanal distilleries, um, uh, uh, cideries, you know, cider makers. And, you know, you never know who's going to become the next Tulltown, you know, Hudson Valley bourbon, you right. know, which then got bought by one of the big companies. But those create real jobs. And you know what, their job's not working at a fast food place, they're not jobs at a casino, you know, they're they're good, you know, they're good paying jobs you know, and, and, and it supports the local economy. So I'm all for, I, you know, I'm again, I'm sort of digressing here, but I think it's, you know, I, I again, I think that, 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 you know, to get back to your point is you, you definitely don't want to judge a book by its cover. You, you'll find by and large, a lot of times, a lot of these people are really amazing, lovely people, and they're really, um, you know, they're in it for the right reasons, you know, yeah. and, or maybe, and also their journey may not be so dissimilar from many of ours where they started off doing something else. And that kind of came back to this because this is really what their passion is and what they want to do with their life, you know? Absolutely. Um,
0: la- la- lastly, I'm, I'm going to ask you if you can tell me just a few more restaurants or, uh, or businesses that you're, that you're working with right now. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, um, in New York, I'm working with, uh, I'm, I'm working with Frenchette and and they, their newly opened restaurant, La Rock, which both have all natural wine lists led by Jorge Riera. Um, I just started working with um, uh, the women that have the restaurant King. Um, they're opening a restaurant uh, actually near La Rock called Jupiter, which is going to be an Italian pasta driven restaurant. We'll have some natural wines. They just hired Max McKinnon who, uh, who ran the so wine all the Roberta groups, um, work with the four horsemen, which is great. Um, out on the West coast. Um, I work, uh, I also work with a restaurant one white street, which is a really interesting restaurant down in Tribeca. The chef worked at Frenchy in Paris. It's got some natural wine. Um, they have a really cool farm that they built upstate called Rigger kill, and they're opening a little pissery next door. Um, Working with uh, Voodoo Vin in uh, L.A., I was just out on the West Coast checking in on Voodoo Vin. Um, I actually met the couple, Natalie and Michael, who are L.A. natives. One is Armenian-American, Persian. The other is per- Persian-American at, uh, at Penitent, uh, got introduced by a mutual friend. They said, hey, they're going to open this cool place in L.A., Natural Wine Bar, you work with French, I worked with Wild Air. And so I've been working with them and they just, I, I feel like it has, you know, it it, it it has the potential to be kind of the West Coast Four Horsemen. Um, they just hired a chef from Rustic Canyon and uh, it's got really great vibes. And what I, I, you know, go go back to your other point earlier is, is that Natalie, who who is an owner and, you know, picks the wines, has a really strong palate and point of view and travels a lot. And she's been she's been a big fan of natural wine for years. She has been. And she really, before she opened a place, traveled a lot. Um, you know, I, I just love her perspective. She just tasted me on my first Armenian wine. Um, when I was out there, Chris Terrell's bringing in some Armenian wines. And uh, she did, a they did a pop-up with a guy who does kebabs. Can't remember his name. It was really successful. They did it one night. Um, and she had gotten some of these, uh, Armenian wines from Christrell, and they were just great. And it's a lot of the same grape varieties as you'll find in Georgia. But again, showing is like, I love when there's something I've never tried, when you think you've tried it all, uh, and you get turned on to something. So so that's another place. And I've got some other things I'm working on here and there. I mean, as I said, I'm working on Carreter. Peripheral, I think it's going to be really exciting this year because we've really narrowed the focus a little bit to be about thinking about the wine growing region, um, in the Northeast and the kind of the North, the the North, uh, the, the Eastern seaboard. And we want that to encompass some of the energy and stuff that's going on up in Quebec through like Vermont and the Hudson Valley down to even like North Carolina, where there's some people making natural wine. We had some of those people, um, also focusing a little on hybrid grapes, which as you know, is, uh, uh, you know beginning great gaining more acceptance and you know For in sure. part because of climate change it's just a i thought. actually
0: did an episode on it with uh, uh um la garagista and uh gravu from alto adige we talked about hybrid yeah. grapes i'm a big that's supporter oh, you had
1: the both of them on together that's wonderful yes um, and then i just i'm not i'm on hiatus with her right now but uh you know last year I had the real tremendous opportunity and an honor to work with Jancis Robinson and to get to know her uh, a little better. She, she, about a year ago, sold her website to a company called Recurrent Ventures, which owns Sever Magazine, Domino, and some others, and they're in the midst of relaunching it and um, really getting to know her again. Another example, don't, don't necessarily judge somebody by their label. You know, Look, she has to be a generalist by nature and and you know do the tour of horizon but she's an inherently cure what i've learned is inherently curious person she's very interested in hybrid grapes she's very passionate about sustainability in wine and that's going to be a focus in their reporting um, you know she's been on you might have seen eric asimov's column a couple weeks ago about um you know climate change uh, basically bottles Right. And, and Carbon Footprint, she's she's been on that drumbeat for a, quite a while, yeah. you know, and uh, it was really great to get to, you know, to get to, uh, to get to, you know, get to know her now. And I'm really, I really just, you know, I think it shows that, you know, dialogue is always more important than saying, oh, that's for, you know, those people and that, you know, I think there's, we can always learn something from each other here. So. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Totally agree with that. All right before I let you go, um, one fun question
0: is if you can remember the last memorable gastromic experience you've had. And I hope you're not going to list the restaurant that you work with.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Um, let me think here really quickly. You know, I, I would say a meal that I had that really stood out in the last several months was um, I got taken by a friend to Torian which is a, a, a Japanese yakitori place in, uh, in, in uh, well, there's two. There's that. Um, it was really great because also they had a bunch of natural wine. And I think that natural wine, one thing that, that cannot be overstated is how well it pairs with um, non-European cuisines, whether it's Asian food, Japanese food, Indian food, pair, just pairs really well. And wines from actually... From Austria, Germany, just goes so well. And not necessarily the things that, you know, it's not just Riesling, it's not just Pinot. Right. The other meal I actually had was actually last, was actually on Sunday. Um, these are friends of mine, but they're not clients. It's a restaurant out in Milford, New Jersey called Canal House Station. Okay. And it's uh it's it's two women, uh, Melissa Hamilton. And Christopher Hersheimer, who are also have a cookbook, uh, they write cookbooks and write cook, have a cookbook studio um, called Canal House. And they have a little restaurant canal in a, in a converted train station in Milford. And they do Sunday supper from noon to four. And it's BYOB, which I always like. And uh, so uh, my girlfriend and I went out there, hadn't been out in a while. It's very hyper seasonal food um, and just had a memorable, it was roast chicken with chanterelles and, and grits. And I brought a bottle of uh, 2017 Ganavat that had been given to me by uh, Jeffrey Alpert. And uh, we drank that and just had a really great, it was a little rainy, but had a really memorable meal, very simple food. You know, It's like a place, like the way I like to describe it is if if Rochelle Canteen had an American cousin, it would be Canal House. It's that right. type of food, you know, simple, seasonal food you want to eat every day. So those are probably the two most memorable non-client meals I've had in the last few months. That's awesome. I, I have to check them both out. Um, you should come out. Canal House is a great. There's a whole like the the move is if it's a nice day is to go out early. It's about an hour, twenty minutes from the city. You drive out. You go to Lambertsville, which is a you know sort of antiquing area. There's a flea market. Go there early. And then drive up the. It's on the Delaware River, so it's kind of halfway between New York and Philly. Mm-hmm. And then you drive up to Milford and you have lunch there, or you know, go at you know, go on a Saturday, rent an Airbnb, bring a bunch of wine, you know, the usual thing. So right, that sounds awesome. Well, Jay,
0: thank you very much for joining me. This was this was great. Um, and thank I you, it was to... great talking with you.
1: And I look yep. forward to when you're back in town. Let me know. It would be great to uh, share a glass of wine. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye.